When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. BK comes back from a wedding and a honeymoon to enjoy the Armed Forces Bowl, a close game uh, between Missouri and Army that Missouri eventually loses. But, uh, yeah, you came back, and we threw you right back in the fire. How you doing, BK? I'm doing great. This is going to be an unpopular opinion. I actually agree with what you just said. A really enjoyable and exciting, entertaining football game. I know that many listening to this podcast will disagree with that because of the way that it ended. If we take a step back for a moment, though, and just think about the game as a whole, there are a lot of really crappy bowl games that you you watch them and you walk away and you're like, why did I spend three and a half hours of my life watching that nonsense? And they're just filler in the background, right? In this holiday season. This was not that. This was a legitimately compelling football game. It was one of the best games on the Mizzou schedule, honestly, this season. So Mm -hmm. it didn't go the way any of us hoped at the very last minute. But the game itself was really entertaining. And it ended up being everything that we could have asked for, really, from that sense. It really was. I mean, we... uh... The royal we, the Missouri fan base, college football fans in general, like like to take a lot, a lot of takeaways, put a lot of stock in bowl games, which is wild because they're just they're just postseason exhibition games, you know. Like it, you get a random opponent, like hey, here's an extra game because you because you did well in your first twelve. That's that's all it is, and we draw these sweeping generalizations from what we've seen from like uh, just sixty minutes of one game as a indicator of the entire season. And I know that I'm a super weirdo and I, I, I care less about wins and losses 
and care more about the quality of those wins or losses and the progress and the process of building a team. Like that's what I care about most. That's where I get my happiness. So I understand I'm weird, but I still really don't understand how you look at a game where there is no Connor Baselak, no Tyler Beatty. There were no tight ends. <laughs> you lost your two starting defensive tackles. Excuse me. What'd you say? There's no tight ends. Okay. Well, we had the horse was there <laughs> and then a bunch of his walk on friends. Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry. We had none of our starting defensive tackles and only three guys who could play that position. We had uh, no corners. Caleb Evans was out. Allie Green was injured. Sean Robinson was injured. Jalen Carlis was injured. Martez Manuel was injured. You had walk-ons and freshmen across the defensive side and missing a good chunk of weapons on the offensive side. And you still played an Army team that was way better than you, closer than anybody anticipated, including Vegas and all the people who, who predict these games. That was a lot of fun. Yes, you lost in the end, but it was close. It was exciting. And you saw some fight from this team, from the young kids. And I mean, that's that's all you really want from a bowl game in the end of the day, man. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this is just the name recognition. Like people don't watch Army. And so they don't realize probably or that's a generalization. Maybe that's unfair. But I think a lot of people don't realize they played Wisconsin within six earlier this year. This year, Wisconsin's a pretty good football team. They were within two scores of Wake Forest. Wake Forest, really good football team. Now, they also have a pretty bad loss on their resume with Ball State, but Army was good this year, like legitimately pretty good. And so when you went into that game and you, you're looking at it as a Mizzou fan, and many do this, and I'm not, this would be the case for anybody that was playing in the Armed Forces Bowl, you probably look down on it and you're like, they really have to play the Armed Forces Bowl against Army? Really? Army's good. And I think that takes away a little bit from some Mizzou fans who, if it was the same caliber of Power 5 program as what Army is as a team, and they didn't run the triple option, they just ran the typical spread that you see, I think people would have walked away from that game feeling much differently. But because it was Army specifically that they played in that game, it just it changes the way that you feel because of the name recognition. The name brand wasn't there as the opponent that you went up against. And I do think that's a little unfair and a little bit of a uh, misguided approach for what Army was this year as a team. They were pretty solid. And so what you went up against was a team that, like you said, given the roster construction that you had on the field, Army was just a flat out better team or, mm -hmm. or they, they were the better team with who they had available to them on Wednesday night. And Mizzou played a better game, the better team in terms of the quality of the performance was actually Mizzou. I know they didn't win, but they finished the game with 430 yards. Mm -hmm. Army had 300. They finished the game averaging in terms of a yards per play. They were at like six and a half yards per play in that one. Army wasn't anywhere close to that. Army averaged 3.8 yards per carry. The reason why Army won in the end is because they were perfect on fourth downs. They finished five for five. Mizzou was 0 for one and didn't get the two point conversion. Like mm -hmm. sometimes this stuff really is just that simple. And I don't want to kind of break it down into just one thing, but it's kind of what it was, man. This was two pretty evenly matched teams in one game that came down to the last drive and Army just happened to make the play that Mizzou was incapable of making. So here's your power five comp. Army was 59th in SP plus. LSU was 61st. Offense and go. defense, eerily similar. Eerily similar. Now they do it in a completely different way, and obviously the recruiting rankings are 
totally different. But yeah, if Missouri played LSU and lost 24-22, you wouldn't mind. It's because of the colors on the jersey and the helmet. Um, you mentioned, you know, how it ended up a win. You're right. It I mentioned in my in my preview, like when you play Army, you have so f- fewer possessions than what you're comfortable and used to. And so when you get a, sco- a scoring opportunity, you got to make the most of it. Buddy, each team had eight possessions. <laughs> Missouri's used to 12, 12 or 13. Each team had eight. Each team had five scoring opportunities. The difference is that Army attempted two field goals and scored three touchdowns. Missouri attempted and got three field goals and had two touchdowns. That was literally the only difference. That's it. Um, now, obviously, the two-point conversion comes into play. And if Kiki Chisholm's arms are, you know, three inches longer, we're talking about a different set kind of setup here. But like all in all, this is about the most evenly matched game you could get. Um, and yes, Missouri can move the ball on Army and not every team can say that. Uh, and, the, and you know, as far as Missouri's defense goes, again, much maligned all season, uh, even with backups, they they did a commendable job against what is usually a pretty solid offense to stop. Um, so there there is... You can run around and say, fire this, fire that, and, you know, Drinkwitz is screwed and the microscope is on him and blah, blah, blah. Like, you can say whatever you want. Truthfully, Drinkwitz is entering his third season, second actual season. Recruiting is is dynamite. Um, he is He has been bowl eligible for two straight seasons. He is, what, 11 and 12 in the first two years in the SEC. Um, you know, other than some kind of in-game management and player management stuff, like I'm happy with where this program is. And this, this bowl game does nothing to change my opinion of that. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of criticism that I just don't agree with, man. I don't get me wrong. There's plenty of reason to be critical of certain things that Eli Drinkwitz has done. And we'll get into one of those decisions I'm sure here in a moment, but I, I don't, really have a whole lot to be critical of with what he did yesterday. I've seen a lot of people critical of the way that he handled that final possession, man. You got to score like Mm -hmm. the the number one priority is not getting the clock down as much as possible. The number one priority is to score a touchdown to extend the game and give yourself a chance to win much less give yourself the, a chance to, to bleed the clock. So I, just disagree with that assessment that some people have. I know a lot of people wanted him to be more aggressive. I I guess I kind of understand that, but he was aggressive later on as as well. So mm-hmm. I I didn't think he coached a bad game. In fact, if you're looking at like play calling, play designs, I actually thought he coached a really good game against Army. And what's kind of skewing everything is just that they lost. They yep. didn't get the two-point conversion, which by the way, Great call and great design had Dawson Downing wide open in the end zone. And whether it was the throw or a bad timing on the jump or maybe a combination of the two, it just didn't work. I I thought they had a really good game plan going into that one Mm -hmm. and they executed it for the most part pretty darn well. Just didn't win. And, And that's that's what happens when you go up against a service academy and they end up running the ball the way that they do. And you had to expect that they, mm. they knew what was coming their way. And the defense did pretty well. Also, I know you look into the success rates and I don't know exactly what they were, but I can't imagine they were super high when they finished under four yards per carry. Mizzou played a good game. 
I thought Eli Drinkwitz and Steve Wilkes, by the way, coached a pretty darn good game, and they lost. And, and, and that sucks, and you hate to see it, but I'm totally with you, man. I don't have these sweeping, grandiose takeaways from that game other than just I was excited with what I saw from some of the individual players, but in a, a program-wide takeaway, yeah, I, I have a lot more to take away from the season as a whole as opposed to that one microcosm of the game where they were without like legitimately 15 contributors. So I, I was impressed more so than critical of what I saw on Wednesday night. Yeah, and for the record... Um... Army success rate throwing the ball was 66.7% because they only did it nine times. <laughs> but running the ball, their bread and butter, 38.2%. 38.2%. That is uh, well below their, their season average, uh, what they're used to doing. Uh, and again, this isn't the, you know, the greatest Army offense under Jeff Munkin, but it, you know, this is they can they can make you look stupid. And Missouri had some moments, but they mostly kept it in check. It's just they just grind, 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 convert fourth down, convert fourth down. That was really it. So um, I did. Let's talk about the quarterback uh, because I was very impressed with young Brady Cook. Uh, he he got the start. Uh, he was starting, uh, getting the uh, reps with the first team pretty much the entire winter practice session. And he came out and he looked great. 27 of 34. That is a 79% completion rate. Uh, he did take three sacks. He's a freshman. That sort of thing is going to happen. Um, but he he had pretty good command of the offense. And boy, he also can run. Ran six times in non-sack situations. And it was just, it was a breath of fresh air. And and as much as I just wanted to say, wow, hey, like this Drinkwitz offense makes quarterbacks look really good. I'm very impressed with what I'm seeing. At the back of my mind, I was like, why did we stick with Bezalak for so long? This is so infuriating. I will never understand, man. I will never understand. And I I don't think we're ever going to get an explanation, at least not an honest one, from Eli Drinkwitz. Maybe it is just as simple as he thought Bazelak gave them the best chance to win, but I just don't know how he can say that. I, I mean, maybe, maybe he believes it in his heart of hearts, but as we were watching it against South Carolina and then against Florida and then again against Arkansas, I mean, how many times did we say, hey, man, it, it makes more sense to go with one of these backups, whether you believe in Macon or Cook. I I wanted it to be Macon. At a certain point, I was resigned to the fact that it just wasn't going to be him. So I was like, mm -hmm. OK, try Cook. They bring something to the offense that Basilek is just incapable of bringing, and that's their mobility. And that completely changes the way that defenses have to defend this offense. And you saw it against Army. Early on, that touchdown run that um, that you saw from Brady Cook, mm -hmm. that's just not something Basilek would have or could have done. And that's the difference to me, is you add that extra dimension, the defense has to account for the quarterback, whether it be in uh, designed run plays or you start playing a little bit more zone against them because when you have man coverage on the back end, you got to worry about the quarterback taking off because the corners and the safeties have their backs to the quarterback. It, it just... It adds one more thing that the defense has to think about. I don't understand why they decided to go with Basilek the last three weeks of the season in particular. Before that, I think it was a little bit more understandable. 
I think the earliest that you probably would have made the switch was after the Tennessee game. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't think it really changes anything results wise at any point, honestly, in the second half, I don't think you beat, uh, beat Arkansas. I don't think you beat Texas A&M and Basilex didn't play. So you obviously aren't beating Georgia. <laughs> I don't think the win loss record changes at all. If cook was starting as opposed to Basilex, I do think you beat Georgia by more. I don't think you have to go to overtime against Florida if Cook is starting in that game. I think you at least give yourself a chance against Arkansas. And that's what's so frustrating to me is you had an opportunity to be able to find out, okay, what do we have in Brady Cook? Before you get Sam Horn on campus, before you go get into spring ball with Cook, clearly it, it appears being your, your number one option. It, what does this guy do against SEC competition? Let's find mm -hmm. out. Let's see what it looks like. At least you get a trial run down the stretch when you probably knew then Basilek's not going to be your guy in 2022. And they didn't do it. And they just, they punted on that opportunity. And that's really frustrating because now you go into next year and the only real extended action that you've seen from Brady Cook are a fake game against Georgia where it didn't count um, <laughs> because Georgia's not real. And this this bowl game against Army and Army is just different than playing any other team really in the country, or at least certainly that they'll see on their schedule next year. So it's really frustrating to me that they decided not to do this, not because I think it changes the record. I don't, but because you punted on the opportunity to find out what you had in house before you get a really exciting prospect on on the field with Sam Horn. I agree. Um, I've, I've, I've talked many, many times about a head coach's responsibility to win games and how that means both current winning games and winning games in the future. And for my, for my expectations, I am giving him kind of enough leash in what I would consider a rebuild, reforming this team into what he wants it to be. Gave it to them in 2020. I was giving it to him in 2021. And really my expectations start kicking in in 2022. There's nothing more valuable for a college football player than to have playing experience, especially when you're in the SEC and you screwed away five SEC games because Drinkwitz is so intent on winning now, winning now, winning now. You know, he goes with the vets. He goes with the older guys because he thinks that's what's going to let him win now. I'm like, yes, you, you, you do have to win games in the present. You know, you got, you got to pitch something to these kids when you're recruiting them. You can't be walking in at two wins and saying, yeah, come here and, Let's change the SEC because they're gonna. What are you talking about? At the same time, you gotta play that talented youth. You gotta develop that talented youth because now that safety blanket is gone, and you start twenty twenty two two straight games on the road, one at Middle Tennessee, one at Kansas State, and now you're gonna throw in a kid who's got either one start in Brady Cook or Tyler Macon or no starts in Sam Horn. I mean, yes, they're probably going to go to the transfer portal and get a quarterback, but like, um, that, that I don't think they are. I mean, I don't think they should. Well, we'll get into that, but you you've, okay. you've put yourself in a position where you it's perilous. It's perilous as far as quarterback uh, experience goes. And I I I I'm with you. I do not understand why he either didn't rotate Cook and make it in more or give Cook some starts because if this was your end game all along. There, then there's no explanation as to why Bays like kept getting trotted out there on one leg and, and expected to to win games instead of develop the, the talent that you have. It's puzzling. 
And the same thing is true at wide receiver. And I know you've made that yes that comment a number of times. And I I was confused by the use of the receivers, honestly, in this game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think it became a, hey, let's win this game right now. The same thing that you said they've done all year with the quarterback position. By the end, you were seeing Toski Dove and Kiki Chisholm and Barrett Bannister as the main three wide receiver set. You didn't see a whole lot after the first drive or so of Dominic Lovett in this game. Mm-hmm why why not you know he he's a guy that i would expect that they're going to see a lot of next year along with luther bird and i think that'll those will probably be your top two receivers along with toski dove um and we'll see how the other young players end up factoring into that including jj hester i i was a little surprised by the way that they decided to deploy their receivers i actually it it looked to me as if jj hester had passed dominic lovett on the depth chart during these uh, bowl game practices. So that's something worth monitoring as well. I thought it was interesting to me that they decided to use Elijah Young as their at least one A or one B running back in this game. Yeah. Considering he had seemingly been banished to the bottom of the depth chart for the vast <laughs> majority of the season. Yeah. And then you watch him in that game and it's like, this guy has juice. Like he can help you. He's clearly going to be part a factor in what they do offensively next year. Like if you're Mm -hmm. looking for a direct one for one, or at least like a, some kind of a microcosm of what Tyler Beatty is as a player, it's Elijah young. He's the facsimile to what, Mm -hmm. what Tyler Beatty has been. He's the guy on the roster that can best be that type of a player in your backfield. He can't give you all of what Tyler Beatty did, but he can give you some of it, especially in the passing game. So I, I was consistently confused as to why he wasn't you, uh, why he wasn't used this year. And then to see him and see him perform as well as he did against army, it was just even more confusion. So, uh, there, there were some of those things personnel wise that I left and I was like, I, I just don't, I don't totally get it. The utilization of some of these players and it extends beyond just the quarterback position. I agree. I think that's kind of my big takeaway for this season, which is why, <laughs> why did we play the, these guys? Because yeah, young, when young was great, 13 carries, 75 yards, 5.8 yards per carry uh, hit the whole fast, you know, he, he Five keeps catches carrying as well. Dish. Five catches on top of that for 32 yards. Like that's, that's what you want. That's you can do that. You had a Tyler Beatty and you had an Elijah young and only one of them saw the field. And then when you wanted to give Beatty a break, you put out Michael Cox who did not play it down <laughs> in this game. I, I it's the personnel decisions are curious and, and that's going to be tough because you can't, you, you won't, like you said, you'll never get a straight answer as to why the coaching staff handles their, their personnel the way they do. But if you want to look at things to, to question and like have legit issues with, that's fine. I think it's fair to question uh, this, this staff's uh, management of, of their players and, and the playing time. I think that's fair. Um, but really, once we get into 22, kind of the train wheels come off. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in the transfer portal. But I expect a lot of the old Odom guys to kind of flush out and really just kind of leave the Drinkwitz guys, the Drinkwitz recruited guys left on the on the roster. So. Um, there's going to be less excuse as far as like, oh, well, we got to play the, the vets, the old guys, because they're they're proven talent. And well, guess what? The talent that you have left to the guys that you got. So let's let's do it. Um, but yeah, I, the just kind of managing the offensive side has been really curious. And the other storyline is, of course, the defense. 
in their turnaround because they were just so god awful at the beginning. And you all know that. And then just they they ate their Wheaties and it, they clicked. Uh, or after they you know after once they played Vanderbilt and they held Georgia to their lowest lowest rushing output and everyone else just kind of. They just got it. And, you know, the development of Blaze Aldridge in particular from just a, a Viking warrior to a tactical Viking warrior, still just a disruptive dude, but like better used. And the emergence of Chad Bailey, uh, you know, Isaiah McGuire, Isaiah McGuire off the edge. Like it, it, there's just a lot of dudes that just clicked halfway through the season and, and a defense even shorthanded yesterday was, did very well. And really that's kind of the story going into 22, are we going to see first half 21 defense or second half 21 defense? And we got nine months to figure that out. I feel like at this point, we know it's going to be the second half defense. And I'm not sure they're going to be as good as they were in the second half, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere nearly as bad as they were in the first half. And the reason why I say that is because if they could perform like this without God, half of the defensive players <laughs> against Army, yeah. I feel pretty confident they're at least not going to be a total, total disaster next year, the way that they were early in the season, because they, I mean, they had guys that were, as you mentioned, walk-ons and like third string backups that were playing significant snaps against army as one of the most productive running teams in the country. They ran for like less than four yards per carry in that game. So if you can hold army to four yards a carry with, a bunch of backups out there. I'm pretty confident that next year, and by the way, most of the players that were out there will be back next year. At least that's, that's the expectation. The yep. um, I'm pretty confident that they'll at least be fine next season. I don't know mm-hmm. what the ceiling is for the defense just because they're not bringing in a ton of blue chip players on that side of the ball, but I'm pretty confident they'll at least be fine. I think so too. I do. Uh, I think you, you nailed it. There's going to be a lot of guys coming back. Yes, you lose. Byers and Whiteside and Aldridge you lose Aldridge uh, you probably get some some defections via transfer portal but like the defensive line and the linebackers were the biggest issue at the beginning of the season and you get Chad Bailey back Devin Nicholson has experience and then uh, you know Mikai Wingo Darius Robinson uh, Trajan Jeffcoat's coming back and Isaiah McGuire so like the guys who are the big problems most of them come back they got to get the younger guys up to snuff. Okay, that's what offseason workouts and practices are for. But at least your starting core is going to be like, okay, second year under Wilkes, we are good to go. Uh, the secondary, you know, very, very young. So young this year that they're going to be young again next year. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how they fit in. But you get Enos Rakestraw back. DJ Jackson's had some experience. Chris Abrams drain is yours, your nickel and kind of going to be your nickel going forward. Uh, Jalen Carlos is back. Martez Manuel may or may not be back, kind of up in the air. Um, but you're looking at this defense and you're going, okay, well, if it clicked and then they all graduated, we'd be right back at square one. But just the the uh, the amount of raw experience that's coming back, and even with the short rotation, like it, yeah, I don't, I am not concerned about the defense. If it does become a problem, then you know something else is afoot. Yeah, it's interesting because this year I think the the question was. Okay, what's the floor, right? Because we we just didn't know, given how much they lost from last year's team, what the floor was going to be. Can this team, is it possible they bottom out? Do they go four and eight? Do they go, is it possible they just have a disastrous season from hell, right? And the answer was six and six, kind of seemed like the floor. You know, given the way that this season went, I think that was pretty much eh, maybe five and seven was, was the floor for this team. 
and they were able to get at least a little bit above that. I think next year the question is more of what's the ceiling. I'm pretty confident they've got a, a decent floor. I'd be surprised if next year's team doesn't make a bowl game. I think the question, though, is what's the ceiling? Can they improve upon the defensive performance that they had this year? Can they take some of the performances that we saw, especially from the edge defenders, for example? Can Isaiah McGuire and Trajan Jeffcoat become real difference makers? Can Chad Bailey go from being an adequate middle linebacker to being a plus middle linebacker? These young corners that they've now started to develop, can those guys go from being, oh, I didn't know that they were going to be solid contributors to, oh, wow, these guys are legitimately good. Like Those are the steps that you need to take defensively individually for them to go eight and four or something like that. And then offensively, it's all about quarterback passing game. I'm not super worried about the running game being at least passable. I think they'll be fine there. I I don't know what the ceiling is for that either, but the passing game is really where you're able to take this thing to the next level. What is Brady Cook? What is Sam Horn? And how much do guys like Luther Burden and Jamarian Wayne contribute immediately what is the step that you're able to see from Mookie Cooper and Dominic Lovett those are the kinds of things that are going to help you learn what the ceiling is for this team next year and I think that's the more intriguing conversation uh about what they're going to be in 2022 and honestly that's a way more fun conversation than the floor conversation that we had about 2021 it is I mean this passing offense needs to become dynamic the past two seasons it's been pedestrian it's been efficiency based uh, you know, when I was talking to Mike Braden at uh, that SEC podcast, I said, you know, the passing game, you know, if you need three yards, it'll get you three. If you, get, you need five yards, it'll get you four. Like there's <laughs> no, there's no breakaway. There's no deep bombs. There's no shake and bake, you know, get, you know, get yak after the catch. There just isn't any of that. And that's not what the receivers we have do. That's not what Kiki or Towski or, or Barrett do. You add Luther Burden, you add Jamarian Wayne, you add McGuire Miller, like, these are the guys, these are the touchdown makers. This is the athleticism that you're looking to find and add to the receiving room to make that sort of thing happen. Because yes, and I swear this isn't a bit, by the way, Nate, what? I do think Ryan Horsecamp is actually a legitimate difference maker in that regard as well. Like, I think that guy can help them a lot in the red zone. Did you see how big he was? Like, I don't think he's 6'2". <laughs> I mean, I, that's what they report him at, but he's seen bigger than that. He looks the part of an SEC tight end. Like, he looked bigger to me than what you would see from uh, Daniel Parker Jr. when he was out there. He he looked like a size-speed combo type of a tight end. Um, he looked kind of like a Sean Culkin, for example. Like, mm-hmm. that, that type of size. So I'm I'm super intrigued by what he can add to the offense as well. Of course, the guys that you mentioned are, are more important in that regard. But once you get into the red zone, they need big dudes that they can target down there to be able to change uh, what it looks like when they get into the red area. And I, I do think he's going to factor in that way. And Nico Hay comes back, too. So, yep. like, th- those are two really good options at tight end. Uh, and Gavin McKay is more of a receiving tight end, apparently. We haven't really seen him. So who knows what he's going to be. Uh, plus, you have Mac- Max Wisner or Wisner, Howard. Subscribe to whichever version you want until he actually gets his name called at Faro. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the passing options are there. And most of this receiving core, both the, the receivers and the tight ends, are going to be Drinkwitz recruited guys, either via transfer portal or just straight up out of high school. So like these are going to be the guys that he wants. And if these these are his touchdown makers, then that's what they need to do. They need to score touchdowns. Um, I, I want to see 
how they're utilized. I want to see what kind of packages they put out there. Do we go no tight end? Do we still run out that crappy five wide? Um, are we still sticking with the pistol? How, how, how many guys are going to see the field and what kind of, what's their utilization going to be? That's it's all scheme on offense. And I love that sort of stuff. And I can't wait on defense to me. Yes. It's the returning guys and who steps up. I'd also just like to see an expansion of that depth. Think of the 2013, 2014, 2015 Missouri defenses. Their strength was there was no drop-off between first, second, and third strings. Just none. You could roll out any any formation that you wanted, any group of guys, and it worked no matter what. And we've just had thin defenses. You've you've been either developing guys constantly, or someone rises to the top and like they d- demand all the snaps, and no one else really sees the field. We've got Ty Montgomery, we got Travian Ford, who are both injured this year on the edge, who are going to be presumably ready to go next year. You're adding a DJ Westlake kind of edge outside linebacker, uh, but you also have you know Chuck Hicks from Wyoming. You got Xavier Simmons, who's coming in from high school, like. We want to see those good guys that we get out on the starting snaps and all that stuff, but I also want to make sure that we can play the younger guys too and that there is talent coming in, like a Marcus Scott. Where does he fit in in the, in the secondary? Does the youth crack the rotation? Does Steve Wilkes expand the rotation because he trusts those younger guys? And can we see more different faces on the field so that you get kind of that line shift that you got in 13, 14, 15 where the production doesn't drop off, but everybody just kind of contributes as a unit. And it's no matter who's out there, it's devastating. You know, what's funny is I actually have more trust that the defensive side of the ball will do that than I do that they will on the offensive side of the ball. Like Makai Wingo became a starter after week, what, three? One. <laughs> you, like you know, I mean, he, yeah. he was almost immediately a starter. When they mm-hmm. got into some rough waters after, what, three, four weeks? Chad Bailey, boom, you're into the yeah. mix now. You're going to overtake Devin Nicholson, who was our established star- starter there. You look on the uh, at the nickel, Chris Abrams' drain. It was three weeks in, I think. He took over in that spot. Um, almost every level had a guy that was a young player that started out the year as kind of a bit rotation piece. And then by three, four weeks into the season, they either became the starter or a really significant contributor at their position. So next year, if Marquise Gracial is able to acclimate to the college level quickly, I have no reason to believe that he will not be, I don't know about starting, but seeing significant playing time along with Makai Wingo, Darius Robinson, and Rialis George. I think that's something you could probably expect going into mm-hmm. next year. Uh, at linebacker, if they decide they don't really have anybody that they trust next to Chad Bailey, I am not sure he's ready for this, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Simmons out there getting significant mm-hmm. snaps early on. At cornerback, if they decide, you know what, we we don't really have anybody that we truly trust outside of Rakestra. Scott could go back there. He, he could be somebody that sees significant playing time at corner. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, so that's the way that it is on that side of the ball. I have less belief that that is going to happen on offense just because we haven't really seen it thus far. It might. Like, I think Luther Burden's going to play. How much is Jamarian Wayne going to get playing time over Toski Dove? I don't know. How much is he going to get playing time over J.J. Hester? I don't know. Mm. Maybe he will. I just don't know because this year there were so many times, much like in the in the bowl game, where 
they start out doing one thing and they're like, okay, it's time for the young guys. Dominic Lovett, first possession, first two plays. We're going to get you the ball immediately on these quick bubble screens. And then the next 70 plays, he doesn't touch the ball. <laughs> it's just weird, man. So I, I do trust that on the defensive side, you're going to see a lot of young guys getting playing time early and then certainly later on often. On offense, I don't know. I don't know. I hope we see it, but I, I just, I'm not sure. I mean, our head coach runs the offense mm -hmm. and he clearly has his guys. Um, so he's not going to fire himself. You know, when you're, when you're a Steve Wilkes, you know, your boss can come to you and say, make it work. And you're like, all right, throwing everything at it. <laughs> Let me open up the rotation. Let me put some young guys out there. Like you have that incentive when, when you are your own boss on one side of the ball, guess what? You don't tend to have those kind of conversations with yourself, at least openly. Um, I, I don't know what goes into his mind as far as how he develops this offense. Uh, yes, you would think Hester and Looper would would have seen the field a little bit more. Um, so I don't know how he evaluates his receivers, but outside of Burden, yes. I, do, I don't know if there is going to be a, well, and Tavoris Jones. I, I don't know if, if there is going to be a youngster who sees significant playing time. I'd like to think that they do, but Trinkwitz has established this this pattern of activity where he has his horses. He has the guys that he trusts and he doesn't really meander outside of that group. Not, not often. Like you said, it's like a, it's a, it's a possession here. It's a, it's a drive there. And then you go right back to the guys that you like the best. And for better or worse, that's who he is. I don't think it's, I don't particularly think it's great, but I'm not a football coach. <laughs> so coaching for my job. So and what do I know? But, I just, I'd like to see more and I hope that when he has more of his guys, he's willing to rotate more, but history kind of dictates that no, that he's not going to do that. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, the positives outweigh the negatives with Eli Drinkwitz as being your head coach. This is nitpicking. Oh, for sure. Yes. But yeah. we are still relatively early in the Eli Drinkwitz experience and these are the kinds of things that you pick up on over time when a head coach has really started to go through his guys in particular. It's something worth monitoring next year, because if you have these really great recruiting classes, eventually you have to see the results of them. Right. It, it's mm -hmm. it's one thing to be rated highly. But, for example, Butch Jones, he had a lot of really good recruiting classes and then it just didn't amount to a whole lot when he when he was coaching at Tennessee. You need to see more than that with Eli Drinkwitz. And that pressure is not on now. It is not even on, in my opinion, next year. But when we get to 2023 and certainly by 2024, yeah, that pressure will start to mount. And when you have a roster of, at that point, maybe it's 30, 40% blue chip talent. Yeah, it's it's time to start doing some serious winning. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, Missouri's blue chip ratio right now, by the way, 18%. That is the highest it's ever been. Um, and we're still not done with defections and transfers and all that sort of stuff. Should we talk about the other quarterback, BK? Please. Yeah. So earlier this morning, uh, or I guess this afternoon, Connor Bazelak made it official. He entered the transfer portal. Thanked us for the time. I think most people thanked him for the efforts and the services. He is moving on. We've talked multiple times about how this Missouri quarterback room was not going to be Basilak, Cook, Macon, and Horn, you know, at the beginning of 2022. Just wasn't. Someone was going to transfer. I think a lot of us thought, well, you know, it's probably going to be after spring. 
you know, when they have that open competition that we've been talking about. But apparently that open competition happened in December and the results were made and Bazelak is, is skedaddling out. Now, credit to him. Number one, he weathered a coaching change. He didn't have to stick around and he did. Number two, he was thrust into a starting position um, you know, last year to, in relief of Sean Robinson and did really, really well. Uh, I do think he was injured for most of this year. And I don't think anyone was going to talk about it. We're never going to find out, but the, the efficiency was still there. We've talked about this. The accuracy was still there until the last couple games, the mistakes increased. And in, when you had an open competition, Brady cook won, and he got the bowl game start. So heading into spring, we have Brady cook, we have Tyler Macon, and then we will not see Sam Horn until the fall. At this point, BK, what, what is your thought on the quarterback room? Do, I, sounds like you don't think they're going to go transfer, but you only have two guys with starting experience, and each of those guys has one game under their belt. Um, what what do you make of this? Uh, what do they make of this transfer? So I'll start with Connor Bazelak and kind of assess where we're at with him, and then I'll, I'll get to the uh, the quarterback room that remains as well. Bazelak just regressed this year. I mean it it's it's hard to say anything otherwise. He was a game manager, which is the expectation that I had for him coming into the season. What I didn't expect was that it was also going to come with a lot of turnovers. And that's ultimately where things went south for him. It wasn't just that he was a guy who didn't really push the ball downfield, which, by the way, Brady Cook did push the ball down the field a few times, or at least attempted to do so against Army. It was also that it... The game manager was coming with all of these game-changing plays where he gave the ball to the opposition, and you can't have both of those things. If you are a game manager, you have to prevent the other team from getting the ball. You got to prevent those interceptable passes. That was the Alex Smith route in the NFL, right? He's not going to make a lot of big plays up until his final season in Kansas City, but he's also not giving the ball to the other team, so you're basically playing keep away. And you can win that way. Quarterback or coaches can find a way where if they know, hey, he's a super uh, predictable quarterback where I kind of know what I'm getting from him week to week, you can build a game plan accordingly. Or you can be the guy that is the Brett Favre, right? High risk, high reward. And sometimes that's going to go really well for you. Other times it's not. But in the end, you put it in the wash, you come out ahead because the guy is so otherworldly talented that you live with the mistakes that come with it. You can't make you you can't make those mistakes and also be the game manager. And that's where Connor Bazelak was this season. I do think some of that was a result of him being hurt. I don't know if he was injured, but he was definitely hurt. You could see that. His lack of mobility was a huge problem for them this year. I wish him all the best of luck in the future. I did not want him to be the starting quarterback at Mizzou next year. I, I just didn't want to go through another season of what we watched this year. So I, I think in the end, it was the right decision to start Brady Cook and to move on to the next era of whoever is going to be the next starter here, whether it be Cook or, in my opinion, the other option, which is Sam Horn. As for what remains, I don't think they go the transfer route. And the reason why I feel that way is because if you bring a transfer in, I think you probably lose Cook and or Macon. And then you've, you're left with, okay, this transfer quarterback better be good because that dude's our starter. And you're left with basically that transfer and then Sam Horn. And if anything happens to the starter or Sam Horn next year, you're screwed if anything else happens. And it becomes the year from hell immediately because you have no depth remaining in that quarterback room. 
So I don't think they go the transfer route, and I think it's a competition between Cook, Macon, and Horn. And in my opinion, I think they told you the decision in the bowl game on Cook versus Macon. I think this is going to come down to Cook versus Horn next year, and I think Cook starts the year because Horn's not going to be on campus in the spring. And then we'll see what happens midway through the season if Horn's able to overtake Cook as the starter. Yeah. You have a good point as far as bringing in a a, a starter because that is what the transfer portal is. You 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 find starters. You find talented guys who couldn't hack it at one place and bring them to a place where they can start. That's what they're looking for. That's why they're transferring away from their school. If they wanted to ride the bench, they wouldn't transfer in the first place. So that's that is part of the transfer portal rules, unofficial rules. I get that. It does seem a little weird to have two two-year players and a freshman <laughs> in your quarterback room, but at the same time, you know, you got three, and three is better than two. And if you if you feel confident in Cook and making sticks around, because uh, he's one of two right now, one of three once fall rolls around, like if you are good with that, then I am good with that too. I I do not think you need to take a transfer quarterback. I just know that football coaches are crazy, insane, and like over-prepare and just very, very uh, protective of, of their, obviously their job security. And they want to make sure they got all their options covered. So I feel like that's a move that, you know, college football coaches make. You lose one, you replace it with another. And that's what uh, Drinkwitz has said. He's like, hey, we're going to replace any of our losses with a transfer portal. But I don't, I'm not sure if you're going to find a, a, a transfer quarterback who's willing to, to just be, you know, break glass in case of emergency kind of guy. It makes me think that maybe they go Juco route for a quarterback, someone who's got some college experience, granted at a lower level, just to have four guys in the room instead of just three. Obviously, Sean Robinson used to be a quarterback. He's currently a safety. Maybe you could transfer him back in, in dire situations, but, um, Yes, I'm glad Connor Bazelike was here. I'm glad he stuck around in case we needed him for the bowl game. I do hope he finds a spot where he he can be utilized. I'm not sure that's at the Power 5 level. You know, hey, maybe, you know, an Iowa likes a quarterback like that. You know, maybe he could go there. Stanford likes a quarterback like that. Maybe he could go there. Um, but it's not... Miami of Ohio, maybe. Again, G5s? Like, yeah, yeah go back home. Miami? Toledo? Akron needs needs a quarterback badly. <laughs> like you, there are there are plenty of places that could use a guy like that. Um, so I I I do think he's going to land on his feet somewhere. I don't know where that's going to be, but um, it, it's not going to be here. It's certainly not going to be in the SEC. Uh, of course, watch watch Arkansas take them, you know, or something like that. Or if he ends up at Kansas, oh my God, someone said Kansas once. I was like, mm, no, that's they've got a good quarterback situation. They do too, have a good so quarterback. I don't think that uh, yeah. I don't think they'll be the team. Yeah. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll report where he lands, but uh, I think he's going to be fine. Cook versus Macon in the spring. Cook v. Macon v. Horn in the fall. What are the odds that Sam Horn wins the starting position in the fall? Pretty low, if you ask me. What do you think? Better than the odds of Tyler Macon winning it, in my opinion. Man, you are really resigned to Macon not, not being the guy here, huh? Not now. Could he be a year from now? Honestly, I I think him not getting a single snap in that bowl game Mm -hmm. meant something to me. Um, He's I I like him. I think he's a talented player. 
I hope he ends up having a role at Mizzou, but it seems to me like they chose Brady Cook over him because they're in the same class, man. And, and you know how this is. You only get to start mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that if you're just looking at a pure talent play, Sam Horn is more talented than Tyler Macon. So I, I think that it's Cook versus Horn. And I think Horn has maybe like a, a 15 Twenty percent chance of starting, and okay. Cook has the other eighty to eighty-five percent. Maybe it's five percent making, fifteen percent Horn, eighty percent Cook. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Making can learn that playbook, man. He could be dynamic, but so far this year, he just has not clicked. So, um, yeah, I, I am I am good with either of these guys. I kind of feel bad saying it out loud, but I'll say it now. Bazelak was the one that I wanted to transfer. I'm with you. I did not want to see another season of him. It, it, healthy or injured, you know, whatever. I did not want to see that. Um, so I this is I think this is the best for both parties. And uh, we'll see how it goes as we get into spring. But um, I updated the uh, the transfer portal. Uh, I took away Connor Bazelak. We also put in Joseph Charleston, the safety from Clemson. Uh, four-star kid out of Milton, Georgia. I don't know how I feel um, about about Charleston getting come you know coming in. Um, if you look at his tape from from Clemson, he is he's definitely a we'll say kind of a, a center fielder safety, right? He is the kind of guy who's not going to let the 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 ball get past him. He's not much of an enforcer. Um, that's not what he was asked to do. Um, but for the most part, you know, when you're looking at his production, a lot of it is just kind of playing the pass, uh, not really coming up and stuffing the run at any given point. And, and so you're not really looking at a situation where he's going to be kind of your linebacker type of, of, of safety. He's more going to be the guy in the backfield kind of breaking up passes and trying to be that last line of defense um, as far as the defense goes. So BK, what do you, what do you think of this, uh, of this signing here? It seems like a pure upside play. I I don't know if he's going to be a guy that you expect to see on the field right away, but he might be, he was at one point, a four-star player. He ended up getting kind of lost in the rotation at Clemson. They had an all conference uh, freshman this year who was a stud and overtook him on the depth chart. So Charleston lost his spot. He ended up deciding to transfer midseason and he decided that Mizzou was the spot for him. I, I think the question that I have, though, is Jalen Carlisle kind of plays the position that Charleston projects best to be at. I thought Carlisle was pretty good this year. He had some rough moments, but every center field safety does. That's the name of the game playing back there is you're going to get beat every once in a while. And when you do, it looks bad because the other team scores. <laughs> like It directly leads to points for the other team, typically when you don't do your job well. So with Charleston, I don't know if this is a situation where they view him as being a instant contributor or they're like, Hey, worst case scenario, this is nice depth for us. Best case scenario, maybe the light turns on. He ends up being a better impact player than we expected. And maybe we can do some stuff with some split safeties at the back end. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the plan or not, but if it is, it's intriguing because then you've got guys that you can play a little more cover two with on the back end. Maybe you switch the way that you want to play your play defensively there. Um, It 
it's an intriguing addition to the class. I, I have no issue with them going this route. Like I said, he's a talented player who just didn't work for him at Clemson. Maybe it works at Mizzou. Yeah, never turn away talent. I'm with you on that. So we'll see how that shakes out, uh, and we'll keep the the transfer portal piece up to date as as, as soon as we hear that sort of stuff. But uh, that's going to be the show for today, and that's kind of going to be the show for a while. Uh, I like to go into hibernation once football season's done. Uh, take some time. Uh, I'll be watching the kids until they get back into daycare. Got a vacation on the books, and obviously BK just came back, but he's got stuff to do too, and holidays and all that sort of stuff. Um, we'll, we'll take some downtime, but if there's any big news, obviously we'll come in and do an emergency podcast if needed or anything like that. But, uh, we'll go dark for a little bit and we'll let, uh, Matt and Sam carry you through, uh, whatever the hell this basketball season is going to be. Uh, so hopefully you can tune in and, and enjoy Good that. Luck, boys. Uh, God. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, BK, any, any, any parting shots? I don't think so, man, other than just happy holidays to everybody that listened to this podcast. We sincerely appreciate uh, you guys sticking with us through the football season. It's been a lot of fun. It was an up and down season that didn't start out well, but ended up finishing out a little better than I think uh, a lot of us, myself included, and I know for for Nate too, uh, expected. So fun season. Great year to cover the Tigers. Can't wait to get back with you guys here in the not too distant future. And We'll be able to talk about what they add, what this team adds in the portal and start looking towards what spring ball is going to be for this team. Absolutely. Every day gets closer to spring practice. So, yeah, I'll echo that. Happy holidays. If your holiday is coming up, hope you enjoyed it. If your holidays already happened, hope it was great. Um, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for sticking with the team. And uh, we'll, we'll have all the good morsels of news that you could possibly ask for and some analysis to boot. So, Uh, That's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter at Nate Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation and listen to BK on the radio at 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Uh, Of course, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm Azzy. Z-O-U.